U.S. Navy history arriving. Welcome back to the U.S. Navy History Podcast. I am Dale, and I am joined by the XO, Stephen. Hey there, everyone. So, we were in the Pacific the last we left off, covering the actual battles. That sounds right. But honestly, it's all a hazy blur of grog and rum. Oh, it's, it's definitely right. And a lot of alcohol was also involved. So, the first one we're going to do today is going to be the capture of HMS Dominica. If this is a single ship battle that was on August 5th of 1813 off of the Bermudas. It was between the privateer decanter and the HMS Dominica. So little bit about the Dominica. She was a schooner under the command of a young guy named Lieutenant George Wilmount Barrett. She had a crew complement of around 88 men and was armed with 12 12-pound guns. She also had two long six-pounders, a brass four-pounder, and one 32-pounder. Now, would the cannon being made of brass make any sort of difference, or is that just a little bit of uh, nautical bling? Well... Brass is not very tough when it comes to explosions, yeah, which is why it's a tiny four-pounder. I was just wondering why even make a cannon out of brass in the first place, because that just seems like a terrible thought to have, let alone implement. Because brass is easier to work with and cheaper and faster. So if you could put some four-pounders out there really quick and while you're working on the 12-pounders. Uh, all right. That's a fair point. Still seems like a bad idea. Again, that's why there's only one of them. (laughs) And at this time, she was escorting a merchantman, the Princess Charlotte. So at around 1030 on the morning of August 5th, the decanter appeared on the horizon, captained by Dominique Duran. She was a privateer. She was armed with one 18-pound long tom gun, and six 12-pound guns. She had a crew of around 103 men. So he decided to approach these boats cautiously, due to that none of them were actually flying any colors. So for around an hour, maybe a bit longer, the three vessels actually sailed side by side, and almost in gunshot distance, as... Duron attempted to identify who these other boats were. They got a big old convoy. Ain't it a beautiful sight? Well, convoys are front, back, front, back, front, back. This is side, side, side. <laughs> with guys with looking down the sights of their guns going, do I kill them or do I hold? <laughs> do I kill them or do I hold? Well, I, I don't know what convoys you've been a part of on the highway, but that's still par for the course. From, according to the movie, to run from cops. (laughs) I'm I'm just talking about driving in the Milwaukee or Chicago area on the highways. Those folks are vicious. Oh, they're vicious everywhere. Look up dash cams, you'll find out. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. But, so, for the better part of an hour, these folks are close enough that they can start trying to blow each other to smithereens but they're not because it's like, are, are you 
Are you cool? Are we cool? We good? No? Yes? Pretty much. Yeah, they just sat there trying to figure out who each other was. So, two hours after first being sighted on the horizon, the Americans learned that that boat was a schooner of war because Lieutenant Barrett raised the British flag and attempted to flee. I mean, I, I got nothing. I, I'm still just waiting to hear uh, where this went even more horribly wrong because if you're going to raise your flag and you're a schooner of war, you probably should be aiming to fight. If you just wanted to flee, just just go for it. Don't bother raising the flag. Maybe he just wanted to say, we are British. We are running. Of course, there's no mention of the colors on the decanter being down, so more than likely that was being waved proudly the entire time. Oh. So the <laughs> Brits were over there going, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. <laughs> Come on, the Brits didn't have an American flag in the hold? I mean, I thought everybody had everybody's flag. They do. At this time... I don't know the logic of hoisting the Union Jack and then turning tail. All right. Well, Lieutenant Beret, if we ever, you know, raise you with a, the nautical Ouija board, explain the logic, please. This seems like a very silly idea. That'll be the first guy we reach out to. Okay. So an hour later, the Dominica fired when she was trying to maneuver in for an attack. And, of course, the shot fell short. So the Dominica was more heavily armed than the decanter, as I described earlier. But Duran chose to engage her. Probably because they first attempted to flee. Oh, actually, I was wrong. The Americans now raise their colors and sound general quarters. So to assure that none of his men can go below decks... Captain Duran ordered that all the hatches be closed after all the ammunition, water, and grappling hooks were brought onto deck. He planned to get as close as possible to the Dominica without firing a shot because he wanted to do a devastating broadside and then attack the crew with muskets and then attempt to board her under the cover of all of that smoke. Huge broadside, musketry. We're going to have an awful lot of smoke in the air. So the decanter attempted to maneuver for this attack at around 1400. But the maneuver was answered with a broadside. And so it ended up being a broadside duel. The two schooners kept exchanging fire while the merchantmen made her escape. So these guys were firing at each other from such a short distance that Duran could hear Beretti shouting to his men, telling them to take better aim and fire <laughs> into the decanter's hull. <laughs> oh, I sincerely hope he was just like, no, you are doing an excellent job. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm very proud of all of you British gunners. Well, the next two salvos smashed two holes through the decanter's hull. Oh. It killed two men and oh. damaged the ship's rails and rigging. 
No, they were, no, that, that isn't what the American captain wanted at all. Weren't they listening to him shouting back? So this was actually the most damaging broadside of the battle. And it also stopped the boarding attempt. It had also actually disabled the decanter for, for a little bit. Because the crew had to get up there and repair the rigging. So after the repairs were done, the Americans decided to take out the Long Tom and began scoring a lot more hit on the Dominica. Now, what exactly is a Long Tom? It's a long gun named Tom. Duh. Oh, well, I'm so sorry, Tom. So the Long Tom is an artillery cannon. It's a scaled-down version of a of the Army artillery piece being scaled down use for onboard and direct fire. So it's a naval howitzer meant for ship-to-ship combat, in layman's terms. In layman's terms. So, since he's a privateer, it's safe to assume this was a, the decanter was a merchant vessel before the events of the War of 1812. So it's probably something that he acquired or was given upon giving his letter of mark to help enable his ship to be effective in combat that wouldn't take too much refitting because you're effectively just taking a huge cannon and bolting it down on the deck might not even be being bolted down a lot of times these cannons will still have wheels because of the recoil you want these cannons to roll back mm. especially if you are using gun ports on the interior of the ship the recoil rolls them back now you can reload them and then the pushed forward fired again. Yeah, I hear artillery fire, I assume indirect, which I assume you don't want to blow through your main deck, so I assume a deck-mounted gun. But that's just, you know, my interpretation of it. Without actually being there and seeing it, I can't tell you whether it was mounted or whether it was on wheels. Nowadays, our warships, all the weapons are mounted. I can verify that 100%. <laughs> well, I, I think we're still about a, a century and change away from that. Yeah, just a little bit away, away. So a lot of these cannonballs landed on the deck, so the British had to try to flee. But the decanter was a fast ship, so it was able to remain in the Dominica's wake. Again, you're looking at a refitted merchant vessel, which is by design, fast, to a warship that is designed to be able to take punishment via armored hulls, so thicker wood, heavier, slower. And when you say staying in its wake, you mean effectively staying at its stern, right? Right behind it. Okay. The wake is the, when you look at a boat as it's going through the water, that water being churned up on the aft end of the boat? Yeah. That's your wake. Ah, uh, okay. So at this point, the battle was a chase. Neither side could accurately fire on each other. So Duran tried to move in for a second attempt at boarding. He was repulsed in the same manner as he was before. So Barrett's last maneuver when he did it, it stopped the boarding. But he also steered his ship out of the wind, which means that Decanter was able to take advantage of that wind 
and attempt to carry out a third boarding attempt. Because now the the Minica was struggling because her sails were pretty much dead. Well, I was going to say, so if that happens, the only real options available to uh, Barrette would have been to, I forget what it was called, slipping the sails perhaps, where uh, the riggers did something to help them catch the wind once again and get the ship pointed in the right direction to keep moving, or to uh, put out sweeps to uh, manually turn the ship around, as it were, right? Yeah, it would more than likely, depending on their sail configuration, I'm not exactly sure how these the sail configuration was, but there are some that you're able to actually turn at least part of your sails on the upper part of the mast to be able to catch the wind better. Okay. So it just depends on how well her crew sails her. And of course, when the captain screws up, the captain screws up. So at around 1530, Captain Duran ordered his boarders to prepare to go over the side. At the very last moment, he moved his ship so that the bow spirit of decanter was heading directly for the Dominica's stern. The two ships collided, and the boom jib pierced through Barrett's main sail. The Americans were then able to board and gain control of the Dominica's deck, forcing her colors down and ending the fight. So, the Americans, after all this, had five dead and 15 wounded. Lieutenant Barrett's was mortally wounded, but continued fighting with a sword in his hand until he expired. Thirteen Britons lost their lives. Forty-seven were wounded, five of them mortally. The Dominica and the Decanter were both heavily damaged, but... So the Decanter was able to bring the Dominica into Charleston, South Carolina, a couple days later. Now, Captain Duron was made a hero for being one of the few privateer commanders to actually take a Royal Navy warship as a prize during this war. The Americans also reported on Barrett and that he defended his ship until death in a most gallant fashion. And when the survivors of this battle were released after the war, they said they were well treated by Duran and his crewmen. The British never surrendered in this battle. They were defeated by force alone. I mean, that's pretty impressive, and that certainly explains the high casualty count. So, what about the capture of HMS Boxer? Well, I guess is this a, a lightweight boxing bout, a middleweight? Well, it was between the Enterprise and the Boxer. So, pretty heavyweight, at least on the U.S. side. All right, well, let's see how many rounds it goes for. So, the USS Enterprise had 16 guns. The Boxer, 14. The Enterprise had 102 men. The Boxer, 66 men. So, we're already looking at a bit of a lopsided stats here. Yeah, th this does not sound fair. This sounds like the heavyweight versus the middleweight. Or maybe even like Tyson and his airline passenger. Oh, <laughs> uh, I heard about that. I haven't seen anything about it. Somebody was drunk and annoying and ticked off the wrong person. Do they still have their ear? If he doesn't, they've kept it quiet. <laughs> 
So on September 5th, the Enterprise sighted the Boxer, which was off Permaquid Point, Maine. And then the Enterprise decided to close on the Boxer. Now, the Boxer was in the area because they were escorting an American merchantman with Swedish papers from New Brunswick to the Kennebec River. Okay, so was this an American merchant that was just on the wrong side of the Atlantic when the war broke out and then they had papers from Sweden more or less saying, hey, we get one, get home free, no harassment card? No, the boxer was paid to do this. To escort a merchant ship of an enemy nation that normally be totally fair game to take his prize. Money's money. And, okay. What, what happened to integrity? What happened to just, you know... I'm so confused. that I'm very, very confused by this decision. If the British had integrity at this time, this war would never have happened. <laughs> you raise an excellent point. So this wasn't an arrangement with the British government. This was an, an arrangement with the captain of the boxer. Probably, yeah. Okay, good old-fashioned greed. I can understand that. So the captain of the boxer was Captain Samuel Blythe. And when he saw the Enterprise, he was like, crap, and prepared to fight to the finish because he nailed his flag to the foremast. It was not raised on the yardarm. It was nailed. The cojones. So Lieutenant William Burroughs was the commander of the Enterprise, and he also demonstrated similar resolve to Captain Blythe. He moved one of his two long nine-pound guns from the bow to the stern port, declaring, quote, We are going to fight both ends and both sides of this ship as long as the ends and the sides hold together. Okay, so we have two badasses who refuse to move an inch. Okay, this'll be good. So they opened fire at each other. And Captain Blythe was immediately killed, and Captain Burroughs immediately suffered a mortal wound. So the battle lasted 30 minutes, and it ended because the boxer was in ruins. Lieutenant Edward McCall, he inherited the Enterprise after the captain was mortally wounded, and Lieutenant David McGrary assumed command of the boxer after, you know, his captain was immediately killed. So Lieutenant Burroughs, who's still dying at the end of this battle, he declined to accept Captain Blythe's sword. He directed it to be sent to the family of Blythe. He said, quote, I am satisfied. I die contented. And then McCall went into nearby Portland with both of the ships and all of the casualties. Now, in proper British tradition, a court-martial was held, and they actually found that a number of their crew had deserted their battle stations during the battle. Oh. Which might have something to do with why the Boxer was in such ruins. Compared to the... I'm sure the American ship took damage, but... The Enterprise had to be in much better condition if you're describing the Boxer as, you know, absolute ruins and you aren't mentioning the Enterprise at all. 
Exactly. I mean, there's still a slight gun difference, but it's not that huge of a difference. I was going to say, two guns and an additional 40 men don't make for a absolutely destroyed versus, yeah, we probably should replace some of those sails and rigging and buff out those scratches in the paint. Yeah. So newspapers after this battle rejoiced in another brilliant naval victory. So they planned a couple days and the important men, I guess you could say, decided to conduct a impressive state funeral for both of these commanders. And they rest side by side in Portland's Eastern Cemetery. Huh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the uh, British didn't ask for the remains to be returned. He lost his boat. They probably didn't want it. Unless they wanted it for a court-martial. <laughs> so this was a, a good old-fashioned situation of the officers had a game plan, but the uh, enlisted men did not uh, decide to follow through with that plan and, like you said, abandon their post. Not even the officers, it was the captains. The captains just went crazy. Oh, no, I'm talking the boxers specifically. And then, yeah, his fanatic beliefs did not transfer to his crew, obviously, since a number of them were found guilty of abandoning their posts, which during wartime is a executable crime. Bully. That's how a lot of commanders were to their crew. <laughs> so the capture of the HMS Epiver. That's a name. That is a name. This this battle was fought off the coast of Florida, near Cape Canaveral, actually, on April 28th of 1814. It was between the sloop of war USS Peacock, which was commanded by Master Commandant Lewis Warrington, and then the brig sloop Epiver, under Commander Richard Wales. So... You remember the Peacock, don't you? Oh, well, how could I forget the Peacock? She was the HMS Peacock, and they captured and renamed the USS Peacock. Yeah. They loved the name, so they kept it. I was, I, I, well, and I personally love it when they just keep the same name and just change the, uh, you know, country designation. It's a beautiful bird. Might as well name a boat after it. Exactly. And frankly, if the officers didn't have the sails painted up all pretty with green and blue and gold and a little bit of purple, too, I'm frankly offended. You shouldn't be. That's not good camouflage. It's the peacock. I don't care if it's about camouflage or practicality. You gotta live up to the namesake. I'm sure the men that served aboard her did. <laughs> so she left New York on March 12th, eluding the British blockade there and deliver some stores to St. Mary's in Georgia. After that, she was supposed to rendezvous with the frigate USS President. But the President, unlike the Peacock, was not able to blow the blockade. So, they were just sitting there waiting for the President. So he decided to cruise around the Bahamas. You know, he wanted to intercept some British merchantmen sailing from Jamaica. While we're waiting, we might as well take their stuff. It's not piracy if it's war. Exactly. So, 
early on the morning of April 28th, she saw a number of sails to her windward. It turns out that they belonged to a small convoy that came out of Havana on the 23rd, which was escorted by the Epperviewer. When the convoy sighted the Peacock, the merchant ships were like, nope, we're out. And the Epperver prepared to engage the Peacock. Now, of course, she was lightly, more lightly armed than the Peacock. She had 16 32-pound carronades and two 18-pound carronades as bow chasers. The Peacock, she carried 20 32-pound carronades and two 12-pound guns. The ratio of the broadsides of these two boats was 256 to 320. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a discrepancy. Just a tiny bit. I mean, we do love our guns here in the States. That's not wrong. So the two vessels made a direct beat towards each other. The wind shifted south, which fared badly for both the Peacock and the Epervert. So at around 10.30, both ships fired their starboard broadsides on opposite tracks. They both aimed high to disable the rigging of the other boat. And both vessels were damaged above in the rigging. So after firing this broadside, Epiver actually turns downwind to engage Peacock on a parallel course. At which point the Peacock directed more fire onto Epiver's hull, damaging it quite a bit. And then when the British tried to return fire, they pretty much did not score any hits on the Peacock at all. So this goes on for about 40 more minutes. The Epiver received 45 shot holes into her hull, causing five feet of water to flood into her hold. Ooh, yeah, that's, uh, that's about half that level underwater. But Wales, the commander of this boat, he was like, you know what, guys? Get here up on deck. We are going to board the Peacock, and we're going to take her. But his crew was like, no, they refused. I think we just had a discussion, like, three, four minutes ago. You're not allowed to do that? This is technically mutiny. And yes, they can be tried for mutiny and executed for mutiny. So they better make sure they kill whales before that happens. So he can't talk. I mean, they, they have a whole court-martial to England to get rid of him. Then yeah, I mean... And Provost has proven that, you know, sometimes you may not even make it to the court-martial. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, you can't really blame the crew. They had 45 holes in their hull and five feet of water. They were sinking. Okay, see, you said... I took that as, like, they just took 45 shots and, you know, they were decent shots. No, 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 this is straight up... No. That's a hole. That is a 32-pound cannon-sized hole in the boat. Yeah, no, these are holes. A lot more shots were fired. Oh. 45 of them made holes in the hull. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. This is a much bigger problem than I thought it was at first. Okay, I'm, I'm siding with the crew now. I've been swayed. And I'm sure the ship is swaying at this point, too. 
Well, at 11.05, she struck her colors. So, the Epiver lost eight men dead and 15 wounded, which was about 20% of her crew. Did we say earlier what his, what the crew compliment was? Mm, of the Epiver? Of either of them. Oh, here we go. So, 128 crew for the Epiver and the 166 for the Peacock. So, the damage to the Peacock was repaired in about an hour. Probably less. And then the Peacock's first lieutenant took charge of their prize. They were actually able to succeed in preventing it from sinking. And they actually had it ready to sail by nightfall. Wow. That's pretty quick and efficient. Now, what they found in her hull was $118,000 in specie. Ah, good old specie. You can't just say money. This was also private monies, not government. What the heck were they up to? Uh, How much was this? $118,000. Holy crap. Um, yeah. So that is about... $2,120,342 in 2022 monies. It's amazing how you just get that off the top of your head. I mean, wow. I am a wealth of knowledge about some things. Naval stuff, not as much. (laughs) So, the next day, they sighted two British frigates. And the Peacock was able to successfully decoy them away from their prize and then were able to escape themselves. So a few days later, they pull into Savannah, Georgia. They repaired the Epiver and commissioned her as the USS Epiver. Again, eh, name's good enough. Yeah, not much to work off of that one. So unless you really want to do something, I mean, I can guarantee there probably aren't many Epivers sailing around the ocean. Mm-mm. So... This was reportedly one of the most one-sided battles of the War of 1812. Now, both of them were actually not very different in strength. A statement given by their crews in an after-action report said that the Peacock's fire had dismounted a lot of Epiver's cannonades on the initial broadside, but a lot more of them fell from their mounts when they were fired. Wales had actually carried out very little gunnery practice, which would have revealed the defects in the guns and carriages for the guns before this battle, and he would have been able to repair them. So, in the inevitable court-martial, and I can't wait to hear that how that goes, the crew, while that was mutiny may actually be justified in that since their commanding officer had not done his due diligence in making sure the ship was, you know, up to code, so to speak, for naval battle. Well, not that. I think that it would be justified because of the fact that they were sinking. All their weapons were disabled, and now the crazy SOB wants us to go board the enemy with swords and muskets. Ah, <laughs> oh, but come on. Think think of how awesome and how, uh, are we allowed to say badass? Sure. Okay. 
Just, just think of how badass, like, sir, the ship is sinking. Then it is time to get a new one. Didn't sound like that's the way it went, though. <laughs> if he was that kind of leader, they would have won. So you wanted to know about the court-martial? Oh, I can't wait to hear about the court-martial. Wales reported that the dissatisfaction and unrest amongst his crew was the reason that they failed in their duty to fight to their quote-unquote utmost. And the court-martial revealed that the Epifer had the worst crew of any vessel that was anywhere in that area. Apparently, her crew consisted mostly of invalids from the hospitals. <sighs> Guys, this is, uh... Even if you're practicing conscription or press ganging, this is why you still have screening processes. If any of this is true, they might be trying to save face, too. I'm, that's also fair. That's also fair. Because, again, this was one of the most one-sided battles of the entire conflict. You know, and saying that the entire crew were, you know, not escaped hospital patients, but press-ganged hospital patients, I mean, that's a good way to save face, I suppose. Yeah. So, we might never know the actual truth, but this is the reported facts of the matter. Okay, so I guess what was the verdict then? If uh, the captain is saying, oh, the crew was awful, and then an investigation reveals, quote-unquote, yes, the crew were, were in fact all, you know, belonging really in a hospital. I don't know why we conscripted them into the Royal Navy. Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, we don't have a verdict? I don't have a verdict for you. <sighs> Come on. Listen, uh, anybody in the House of Commons or... The House of Lords. If you guys could just send us those documents, we'd love to know. Send us all the court-martials. Uh, yes. We, we will start a sideshow of a court drama just for Royal Navy court-martials. Absolutely. It will be acted out and everything. I will be the judge, and Stephen here will be all the disgraced captains. <laughs> I'll work on my provost. <laughs> oh! Oh, you got that provost down. All right, how about one more before we, uh... I think we got time for one more. Let's do the sinking of HMS Reindeer. Oh, no. Santa's going to be so upset. So this is actually one of the hardest-fought naval battles of this war. It was the USS Wasp versus the HMS Reindeer. So the Wasp was one of the three Navy sloops designed by William Doey. She was commissioned in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and got underway on May 1st in 1814. She was commanded by Master Commandant Johnston Blakely, and she had about 173 New Englanders who he apparently handpicked himself. Not from the hospital? Let's hope not. So Blakely's orders were to raid British commerce in the mouth of the English Channel. Okay, par for the course. They were trying to redo what the USS Argus had done the previous year. So, over a number of weeks, he was able to capture seven merchant vessels. And then when the sun came up on June 28th, the Wasp was chasing down two more of them, 
the HMS reindeer was spotted bearing down on them from the windward. The reindeer had been specifically sent out to hunt them down. How flattering. You know you're being effective when they come after you. Personally. So, the wasp was heavier than both of them. She had 22 32-pound carronades and two 12-pound chase guns. Reindeer, she only had 18 24-pound carronades. It's weird because 32-pounders were actually the standard armament for the Briggs of her class. I'm, I'm also wondering why you would send a ship that is, at least from what you've described so far, very, very outgunned. They might not have known her exact armament. Oh, they just knew know that there is a British, there is an American ship wrecking havoc on British shipping in this area. Find it. Go get them. And go get them. Yep, exactly. Okay. The reindeer also had two six-pound bow chasers. Now, she did have a 12-pound carronade as well, which her commander, William Manners, was actually able to use very effectively. So, the wind was very light, so it took more than half the day for both of the vessels to get within range. So, they both shortened their sails to get into battle sails. It took about 10 minutes to be to maneuver after the sail reduction, and Manners fired five shots from his boat carronade. From that 12-pound boat carronade? Right. From where they were at. Eventually, Blake Lee turned downwind to try to bring his broadside to bear on the reindeer. And once he's able to, both vessels exchanged broadsides while pretty much dead in the water. They were DIW. So they did this for 20 minutes. The two vessels then drifted into each other and some of the crew from the reindeer attempted to board the wasp, but they were beaten back. Commander Manners was mortally wounded. So while laying there, wounded, mortally, he urged his crew to keep fighting until he was killed by a musket shot from a sniper in the wasp's rigging. After this, the American boarding parties boarded the wasp. After driving the British crew below, the captain's clerk, which was pretty much the only surviving officer of any rank, surrendered the boat. So the reindeer had suffered 25 dead, which included her commander, and 42 wounded. They had a total of 98 men and 20 boys. Oh, wow. That's... that's rough. So the Wasp had 173 men and only two boys. Two midshipmen and nine seamen and marines were dead, and 15 petty officers, seamen, and marines were wounded. So this victory was pretty much just due to her superior armament and her bigger crew. It was already an uphill battle to begin with, and then if both ships just ended up dead in the water, you know, taking shots at one another until they literally just hit each other from, uh, being caught in the current, yeah, it, it's kind of a no contest. The heavier, more armed ship is going to win. Yeah, unfortunately, the reindeer was described after the battle as a wreck. 
So Blakely set fire to it before putting a number of the wounded prisoners aboard a neutral ship and then proceeding on to Laureate. So once they finished with the repairs from there, she went on to win many more victories before completely vanishing in the South Atlantic. More than likely just due to bad weather. I was going to say, when you say completely vanishing, like she was out for maneuvers, like hypothetically a hurricane hit, and then, you know, this being the 1800s, well, she was out there and she never came back to a port. You can't track hurricanes in this time. We barely do it now. Look, all, all I know is if I see big dark clouds on the horizon, it's like, okay, okay, time to go indoors, if I can. Not really an option on the ocean. No. Sail away as fast as you can. You won't outrun it. Not back then. Depends on how fast. And if you catch a good wind from the storm itself, you might be able to stay right in front of it the entire time. (laughs) But then more than likely you'll get chopped to pieces by the heavy seas that come with the storm. But if you're really lucky... If you're really lucky, you'll make great time and look sick while doing it. But not the wasp. So, I think that's going to be it for today. Any parting thoughts? Third time's the charm. I wish you all fair winds and following seas. There we go. So, a man loses his rifle and the army charges him $85. Now you know why the captain goes down with this ship. <laughs> uh, that's good. You guys can contact us at US Navy History Podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at USN History Pod. And we will catch you guys next time. Bye bye. See you later, everyone. US Naval History Podcast. Departing.